And let's talk financial markets. George Perks joins us for that, macro strategist at Bespoke Investment Group. George, good to have you back. Bonds are telling us one thing, the Fed another. This week, Bostic and Daly both said they see the terminal rate above 5%, but the market says come May, June, we'll still be below that level. Who are you listening to? Yeah, so the Fed has a very big challenge right now in trying to say we're not going to hike as fast as we have been hiking, but at the same time, we're still going to hike quite a far distance and, and keep rates at that level for a long time. They're trying to steepen the curve. They're trying to keep terms uh, premium in uh, the term structure of treasury rates, and they're trying to keep financial conditions from getting too out of hand. And all that's understandable, but the only thing they can do is really jawbone, and that's a big ask. I mean, the, the, the treasury market, if we look at the two-year yield, which is a good proxy for where the market prices, uh, where the policy rate will be one year from now, there's been a back and forth between four and a quarter and four and a half percent without much decision on either side of that. The Fed funds futures market has priced in 5% plus rates uh, for the middle of next year at various points over the past couple of weeks. Um, it, there hasn't been much decision there either. Uh, basically, the market has to weigh a, a couple of different outcomes. First, it's got to be concerned about the fact that uh, interest rates could end up being much lower than, than consensus if we do slide into a recession that's anything other than very mild. Second, they have to contend with the idea that the Fed could uh, under-deliver on tightening, basically continue to tighten and, and see the sort of outcome that has been um, forecasted in their step, but not quite as much as what they've said. And then the third possibility is that they'll have to do more than, than what they've said. Um, that is still a live possibility. Uh, you know, from a data perspective, it looks like the worst is behind us, but they refuse to admit that because as soon as they do, um, then the market say, okay, good, we're done hiking and, and you know, things are going to look great from here. The stock market will go up 10% and um, that stimulates a lot of activity and could unwind a lot of what um, the Fed has done. So just a very, very uh, sort of um, almost obsessive focus on financial markets and on financial conditions as the target that the Fed is currently worried about. George, which of the three scenarios you just painted there uh, do you see more likely? I think the most likely scenario is that the Fed continues to hike but under-delivers on what they've said they'll do. Um, so in other words, I think something like the market path right now or maybe a little bit shallower is probably the most likely scenario. Uh, look, the, the core inflation numbers, the CPI numbers are very constructive. Uh, the Fed has had to get increasingly baroque in the inflation indicator it looks for to justify continued type policy. The current one that's in vogue is services, uh, core services, PCE excluding housing. Uh, you know, this, this is obviously a pretty narrow slice of the inflation data, and it's just about the only thing you can find that isn't in you know rapid improvement. We're seeing very aggressive goods deflation, um, headline commodity prices, used auto prices, durable goods prices, ex-autos, uh, services prices as measured in the CPI are broadly in much better shape than they were six months ago. So you know you're you're seeing this just broad disinflationary and deflationary trend in the data, and the Fed doesn't want to admit that because the last time they forecasted something like that happening, they got burned. Uh, so you know eventually they're going to have to come to terms with the data. And it, it, when they do, I think they're going to end up needing to hike less than they've said they will. Um, you know, that said, uh, one thing we know about this Fed is that it's, it's been quite schizophrenic and, and quite sort of moving quickly from one thing to the next. And, um, you know, the, the core services, PCE, X housing is just the latest and greatest example of that. There have been a myriad change, <clears throat> myriad set of changes on the type of inflation they're looking at, the sort of incremental data that they're focused on um, over the past six to nine months. And, you know, one thing I think we can be sure of is that that's going to be how it is. Um, very temperamental and hard to forecast. Uh, George, in terms of tomorrow, the CPI data, many expecting it to continue to show signs of slowing. Are you in that camp? 
Yeah, so CPI has been much more consistent than PC in terms of slowing and showing that slowing down of core inflation pressure. I, you know, we're still seeing in some categories lots of demand pressure, but you know, incomes have grown at a much slower pace in recent months, and we've seen so much improvement in supply chains. Everything from you know the actual realized durable goods prices paid by consumers, the availability of specific industrial commodities, the cost of transporting things around the world and around the country. I mean. Look, that's going to lead to lower prices eventually, and it's doing so. Um, it's starting to do so. So, you know, the, the worst of inflation is definitely behind us. The question will be, does the disinflationary trends we've seen in the last two CPI reports, which were very significant, do those continue? Uh, it's worth keeping in mind that economists are expecting a flat headline CPI reading for the month. Um, so, you know, the expectations here are not for outright deflation, but do suggest that that. Uh, commodity price pressures and price pressures in general have come off quite a lot. So do they continue and uh, ultimately, I mean, we looked at energy prices in many ways for that as well as some of these commodities, but uh, to that point, I mean, we heard from Goldman Sachs earlier in the week, they were talking about how the EU is no longer expected to head into a recession as some of those energy concerns have eased ultimately. Uh, I mean, it does seem like a worst case scenario is not really playing out here as far as some of those recession concerns. Absolutely. I mean, Europe is a pretty straightforward story. We have gotten, we and they have gotten very lucky in terms of the weather in Europe this mm -hmm. winter. Uh, mm -hmm. Everyone understood last year that if we had a cold winter, things were going to get really, really bad. Uh, we have had a very warm winter in Europe, and we've had a windy winter as well. So there hasn't been as much pressure on natural gas markets as the uh, supplier of last resort for European heating and electricity generation. So that's really good news. I don't, but you know, just keep in mind that. Um, economic forecasting can be difficult because you're often forecasting variables that have nothing to do with economics. The weather is completely divorced. You know, given obviously we we live in a warming climate and that long-term trend is a factor. Whether whether volatility is rising and those are somewhat forecastable. But forecasting the weather from one winter to the next is just about impossible, especially for people that are used to looking at other variables in their models. And so you know, uh, economic for. Uh, Economic policymakers in Europe and around the world have gotten very, very lucky um, with this warm European winter. I don't think we can expect it to uh, repeat next year necessarily, but hopefully by that point, more U.S. natural gas supply for LNG markets will be online and there will be just generally looser conditions overall. Um, as, as far as crude and other markets go, I mean, you know, there's been all this optimism about China reopening, but despite that, crude is still bouncing around near 52-week lows, $75 a barrel type stuff. Um, product markets continue to continue to loosen. If you were one of the people that, that screamed about how much inflation there was evidenced at the gas price, you know, at the gas price, or the price at the pump last year, or how, um, you know, there was so much um, pr crude um, demand and, and we needed to pump more crude and everything, you know, inflationary spiral led by commodities and this, that, and the third. I mean, you right now should be screaming about deflation. Commodity prices are down year over year mm -hmm. and they're going to continue to sink on a year-over-year -year basis as base effects kick in um, more aggressively over coming months. And so, you know, I, I personally don't think that, that we're in a fully deflationary environment, but if your model is commodity prices, you should be screaming deflation right now. And as you say that I'm looking at this EIA short-term uh, uh, outlook that they posted, or IEA, EIA, I'm sorry, and they said uh, basically they expect U.S. natural gas production to hit record highs in 2023 and 2024. So uh, um, ultimately they say leading to lower domestic prices. Let's circle back here for a second. In terms of that U.S. dollar, I started off the segment talking about the declines we saw off the highs from last year, those multi-decade highs, 115, 114 down to 104 here, 103 uh, area. I mean, uh, kind of tying back to what you were just 
just talking about. We've seen the euro firm up significantly as some of those concerns have eased. The British pound, I mean, they've recovered from the deep, dark depths. And the Japanese yen as well. I mean, these are other foreign currencies that when you see that big move up there, it, it explains some of the momentum we've seen to the downside in the dollar and also can explain what I was talking about as I brought you in, that disconnect between rates, right? Because 10-year yields haven't come off. They're holding above those August uh, lows, but the dollar took out the August lows from this summer already. I'd love to tie in that that uh, observation you made about the headline from the uh, nat the natural gas forecast. So U.S. natural gas supply is is going to be very strong for coming years. It's been strong for a decade plus. The shale revolution has completely changed that sector. Um, the thing that's going to determine natural gas prices in the U.S. more than the supply side is going to be the demand side. Um, okay. U.S. demand for natural gas is structurally strong, but nowhere near as strong as supply. And the marginal buyer of U.S. gas is going to be LNG for export. Um, and the marginal buyer of natural gas is constrained by export capacity. Capacity, LNG terminal capacity. So, you know, this feeds in, this is one of the ways that the European outcomes are linked to our outcomes. You know, the marginal natural gas price in the U.S. is going to be much, much less volatile than it will be in Europe. But at the end of the day, if we're seeing um, LNG going for, um, you know, $40 on, $40 a, a per million BTU on the global market, U.S. natural gas is not going to be at $3 per million BTU. It's just not going to, it's just not going to be that way. So, um, you know, I, I I would disagree with the price forecast being all about supply for U.S. natural gas. It's really all about demand and demand through two two steps. First, global natural gas demand. Are we going to have cold winters? Are we going to have lots of people wanting to be disconnected from places like Russia or the Persian Gulf? And are we going to get strong demand for natural gas because of weather patterns and because of um, industrial activity? So I think that's, that's the key thing there. And this feeds through to foreign exchange um, to bring it back to the U.S. dollar. I, I really think that the plunge in the euro last year and the, and the surge in the dollar are underappreciated as being driven by explicitly commodity prices, by terms of trade changes. The U.S. benefits, the U.S. terms of trade benefits from a very, very high natural gas price because we are now a large and very rapidly growing net exporter of natural gas. If you you see those kinds of big commodity price movements are going to have an impact on G10 terms of trade, which has just not been a thing that traders have been used to. You know, trading um, sterling versus the dollar or trading the yen versus the dollar, you haven't really had to think about commodity markets that much over the past couple of decades, but now it's really important. Japan, a massive net importer of, of commodities in general and energy uh, uh, energy especially. Uh, the UK, very dependent on foreign uh, energy supplies, less so than Europe, but similarly, Europe, very dependent. So if you see these huge swings in commodity prices like we've, we've seen over the past couple of years, that's going to play out in FX, and that's going to be more important, I would argue, from day-to-day, month-to-month than interest rates will be. George, uh, good to have you with us here in the new year, and I always appreciate your perspective. George Perks, macro strategist at Bespoke Investment Group.